0: Now you're here on the right Sunday because we're kicking off a five-week series, a collection of conversations on the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, we're calling this entire series Spiritus Sanctus, which is Latin for the Holy Spirit. And uh, let me give you a little bit of advice here. I really want to encourage you to to take out something to to take some notes with, to write down some thoughts. I've got quite a bit of... uh, content that we're going to cover over the next five weeks and a week number one is not light on the amount of scripture and thought so i just want you to if that's your smartphone take out your smartphone access the note application just make sure you put it on airplane mode so that you don't get distracted with you know twitter and facebook and all that fun stuff and then if you got a journal maybe you want to take that out we're going to talk today um, about the person of the holy spirit so here's what the five weeks will look like today we'll talk about the person of the Holy Spirit. Next week, we'll talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. Week three, we'll talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then weeks four and five, we'll talk about the gifts of the Spirit and the fruits of the Spirit. So I announced to you last Sunday on Vision Sunday that we were doing this series on the Holy Spirit and so much excitement and anticipation around this series. So I hope that you're ready. Anybody ready? Okay, so let's dive into this understanding, a better understanding of the person of the Holy Spirit, week number one of Spiritus Sanctus. I want to start off by telling you that there's a lot of misconception about the person of the Holy Spirit. Uh, There's a few reasons that I think that this misconception or these misunderstandings uh, come about, or the reasons why they happen. One of them, and I'll I'll sit on this one for a moment and then even give you a little bit of an illustration so that your mind. Can connect to this thought. One of the misconceptions has a lot to do with the branding or the packaging of the person and the power of the Holy Spirit that the enemy has attempted to achieve, and then dare I say that even the church has attempted to achieve. Marketing and branding of any product is crucial. Does that make sense so far? Uh, so, so here's the illustration, and think of it again in the context of you know, like the Holy Spirit. So if I were to offer you a bag of cookies and I said to you with, with the grease stains and everything, come on, somebody, this is, a, this is a suspect bag of cookies. But if I said to you, I got a bag of cookies and I want you to have these cookies, the first thing that you would look at is the packaging. You got them little grease stains. You know, I've had these cookies in there since last night. And immediately you're wondering, what are these cookies all about? But if I said to you, I want to give you some cookies, come on, somebody, now, immediately, your mind would recognize the branding, Oreos. And these aren't just Oreos, but they are. That's the first time some of y'all ever felt the Holy Spirit, but you felt the Holy Spirit. These are double-stuffed Oreos. Can I get a witness from anybody that loves some double-stuffed Oreos? Now, here's the thing about this illustration is that in these bags, and this, the content of these bags is the exact same thing. And this brown paper bag with the grease stains is double-stuffed Oreos, And then in this nicely wrapped bag of, you know, cookies is double stuffed Oreos. The thing that gets your attention and the reason why all of you would choose this over this, unless you're just being rebellious, is because you trust the brand. You trust the marketing. You recognize this. And what happens in the church and what the enemy has done is he has taken the person in the power of the Holy Spirit and wrapped it in such a way that the idea of intimacy with the Holy Spirit has become almost repulsive to you, uh, has become somewhat of a distraction to you, or you're keeping yourself at a distance from even participating. And and here's a thought, even tasting and seeing how good the Holy Spirit really is. Does that make sense? Let's take this conversation a touch further. If you got your Bible, go to the book of Acts, uh, chapter number 2. And while you're flipping there, let me give you... And I got, I got to do this quick because there's a lot to talk about today, but let me give you a little context and uh, historical background of Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is known as the day of Pentecost. That is also another way to define that is the birthday of the church. So this is the day, the day of Pentecost, that the church of Jesus Christ was, was born. Now, most of you know this. For God so loved the world, he gave us Jesus. He gave us Jesus because the wages of our sin is death. So God sent us Jesus. Jesus was born of a virgin. Jesus lived a sin-free life. Uh, Jesus performed miracles, signs, and wonders. Um, The religious people hated Jesus. They rejected Jesus as the Messiah. And so they crucified him. That was prophetic. They... Put him on an old wooden cross. They pierced his hands and his feet. They mocked him and spat on him. The Bible teaches us that. They put a crown of thorns on his head, and they pierced his side. And On that old rugged cross, Jesus breathed his last breath. They removed his lifeless body, and they put his body in a tomb. And three days later, I need 200 people to give me a good amen. Three days later, up from the grave... Jesus arose. That was a prophecy that was fulfilled. They tried to man, I feel the Holy Spirit. I feel the Holy Spirit. I'm about to take my jacket off. That's how hot it is up in here. They tried to seal the tomb with a massive stone and Roman soldiers, but you can't keep a good man down. Come on. Jesus came up out of that grave. Now I'm going somewhere with this. After the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Jesus is glorified in his resurrected body, and he walks on the earth, the resurrected king, for 40 days. Write that down, 40 days. Jesus walks on this earth for 40 days. And for 40 days, again, Jesus is showing miracle signs and wonders. He's uh, healing people. He's Watch this. He's walking into living rooms, and he's not using doors. He's just walking through walls. Come on now. And he is the risen king. And those 40 days, he has a conversation with the disciples. There, he gives them the instruction of the great commission. And then he says this, and this is critical. He says, it's better for you that I go, because if I don't go, my father cannot send a helper, a comforter. And he says to them, here it is, you ready? He says, and I want you to wait for the gift. Now, there is the gift of salvation, And I am thankful for the gift of salvation. I'm thankful for grace. I'm thankful for mercy. Can I get like 50 people? That would just say amen there. But that's not all there is to Christianity. Jesus says that there is another gift. And he tells the disciples, wait for the gift. So the disciples, they remove themselves to the upper room. And they wait for 10 days. Write that down, 10 days. Jesus walks the earth in his resurrected body for 40 days. The disciples wait in the upper room for the gift which is the Holy Spirit for 10 days, 40 plus 10 is 50, and that's where we get the idea of Pentecost. The Greek word for 50 is Pentecost Day. And so now we have the day of Pentecost. It is literally, the day of Pentecost is 50 days from Easter Sunday. Does that make sense? So now, the disciples are in the upper room, the Holy Spirit comes down, they are filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and uh, the onlookers are two thoughts here. They are amazed and perplexed. And that same emotion, that same lack of understanding, that same wow factor that was experienced over 2,000 years ago on the day of Pentecost is still the very reality that many Christians, many believers are experiencing today. They are amazed at the Holy Spirit, but they're also a little perplexed. And they asked, what, what does this mean? And I pray that over the next five weeks that the Lord would use me to help all of us better understand exactly what the Holy Spirit actually means. Some of them, though, made fun of them. And you've experienced this when your neighbors or coworkers or somebody found out that you were going to go church, that spirit-filled, charismatic, Pentecostal church, they made fun of you and they said, don't go to go church, you know, because they're crazy and they dance when they worship and they handle snakes. Ain't nobody got time for that. There ain't a snake in this room. Can I get an amen? Come on now. You know what the Greek word for people who handle snakes is? Stupid. Can I? Come on. It's just what it is. So they made fun of them, and that happened on the day of Pentecost. And they said they've had too much wine. And I like what Peter said. He stood up, and uh, he had the 11 with them, remember, because at this point, Judas Iscariot had already betrayed Jesus, and the Bible says that he went and hanged himself. So now there were 11 disciples, and he said, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, Let me explain this to you. Again, that's my heart in this series. And listen carefully to what I have to say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. And then I love how he's like, because it's only 9 a.m., as if they start drinking about 10 or 10.30. Come on, he's like, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. We're not drunk with wine. He says, no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And the Bible says this, in the last days, God says he will, let's read this whole line together on the count of three. One, two, three. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Okay, anytime that I teach or preach on the person of the Holy Spirit, there are a few things that I always say. And I'm going to give you these few thoughts today. Here's the first one that you have to know. Write this down. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is he. He. Now, this isn't on the screen, but let me say it to you like this. It is not something. He is someone. Does that make sense? Uh, Let me say it to you like this because I want to make sure everybody gets it. He is a him. Now, that's bad grammar, but it's good preaching. He is a him. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is the third person of God in the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I'm going to kind of dive into the deep end here and I want this to bring clarity and not add to any perplexed confusion. But as a Christian, we have a monotheistic faith. This means that we believe there is only one God. And this is important that you believe that because, in an ever changing society and culture that will move the needle of tolerance and acceptance and how many ways you can get to heaven, you need to know that there is only one God. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There is one God. However, we have a Trinitarian theology. So that means we believe that there is one God, but this one God coexists equally, namely in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that can seem a little confusing. One God, but there are three characteristics of the God that we serve. He's the Father, which many of us understand, because we've got an earthly father. Whether that dad was a good dad or not, we get the idea of Father. He's God the Son. We can understand about Jesus, because at least there's movies about Jesus. Now, he usually is blonde hair and blue eyes and from Sweden, but we see movies about Jesus, where we fail in our intimacy, in our pursuit of the fullness of God, is intimacy with the Holy Spirit. I always show this diagram, but I think it's helpful for a better clarity of monotheistic faith with Trinitarian theology. There is one God God is the Father, God is the Son, God is the Holy Spirit. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father. There is one God. God manifests himself in the person of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now write this thought down. This is so important because if you don't see the Holy Spirit as a person, you will never know him personally. So if you only view the Holy Spirit as some cosmic it, then you will have this massive gap, in a relationship that God desperately desires for you to possess. Um, I don't always argue the Scripture, and that's a good thing. What I do argue is the translation of the idea or the name of the Holy Spirit. Um, Translators from the original language of the New Testament to Greek had a tough time identifying how to describe the Holy Spirit. So here's kind of where I wrestle with. They came up with the name Holy Ghost. Now, I preach the Holy Ghost, I believe in the Holy Ghost, but that's not a great name because, let me show you again, there's some scary packaging that goes with the Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost or Ghost come across as really scary. So writers continued to try to define this spirit, and so that's the word they came up with was, well, maybe we'll call him the Holy Spirit. But the original language was this, is that this third person of God in the Trinity was Numa. And check this out, some of you know this uh, because you're smarter than I am, but there was no name for Pneuma. Pneuma was a sound as of a mighty rushing wind. So the Holy Spirit had no name. Translators gave the Spirit the name of Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit. But the pneuma of God, a current of air, a blast of breath, the same breath that breathed into the nostrils of man in the garden. Can I get an amen? Is the, watch, yeah, yeah. of God. Now, why is that important? We'll talk a little bit more next week about the importance of that because the is where we get power. That is fresh wind in ourselves to allow us to keep on keeping on. Can I get an amen from somebody? This is important. Now, watch this. Not only is the Holy Spirit not an it, the Holy Spirit is a he, but the Holy Spirit, please get this, is not weird. People are weird. There is nothing weird about the person of the Holy Spirit. I'll I'll tell you what's happened, though. Bad packaging. And now, all of a sudden, we've gotten into environments where we think, what is going on? Because this is a circus. This is weird. Now, you need to know something about Pastor Jesse and Go Church. I, I believe in the laying on of hands, I believe in the gift of tongues. Um, if, you, if you are able to see up front when worship is going on, there's a few of us up here that we are just, I mean, we are, we're getting it, man. Come on, somebody. Like, y'all, y'all don't want to make me dance during work. Like, I'm into all that. But at the same time, I don't do weird. I don't do weird. Because in my personal walk with Christ, I have never experienced the Holy Spirit, who is a gentleman, to be weird. That's right. It's people that are weird. So here, here's what you can do you can leave your tambourines at home. Come on, somebody. You can leave your flags at home. That's not, that's not, here's what you need to know is this really a, a genuine move of the Holy Spirit? Is this? The gentleman, which is the Holy Spirit, will never draw attention away from himself. The Holy Spirit only draws attention to himself. So if a person is acting in a way where all eyes go to the person, that is not God because everything that God does in his sovereignty is draw attention to him. That's a great place to pause and give Jesus some praise. Come on. The Holy Spirit is not weird. It's people that are weird. So let me say this to you because this is important. Don't let a few weird folk keep you from distancing yourself from the person of the Holy Spirit. I've been in these environments before where things got a little bit, and I got a little bit. I remember the first experience I ever had in a Pentecostal church, that was my junior year of high school. I grew up Baptist. Come on, where are my, where are my Baptist people at? Let me see, hands up. All right, where's all my, my Methodist people at? Where are you at? Okay, how about my Catholic people? Where are you? Lutherans, we got any Lutherans in the house? Where are my Pentecostal people? At? That's bo- both hands. There you go. See? That's the only group. I like, woo! Yeah! You know what you know. And that was my experience in junior high. I played on the varsity City football team. I played on both sides of the ball, played quarterback on one side, strong safety on the other. And, and this particular game, uh, that was just a little that was a little plug, by the way, that I used to have, used to have some athleticism. And uh, one particular game, I was playing defense, I got hit on the right side of my body. Uh, I broke my femur bone, compound break. I tore my ACL, my MCL, and I ripped every lateral collateral ligament in that leg. So they did emergency surgery. They put me in a cast uh, from the tips of my toes to my hip bone, and I went through a process of recovery. In one season, I was, you know, confined to a wheelchair, then to crutches, then to a cane. So in this season, when I visited this Pentecostal church, I was in a full cast on crutches, and my mom took a road trip with me and one of our family members, to visit my aunt who lived in the panhandle of Florida in Pensacola, Florida. So my mom decided to go visit this Pentecostal church. And I know my mom's watching online, and I know you remember this because you did this to me. I know you remember. So we walk into this Pentecostal church, and here I am growing up in the Baptist church. In the Baptist church, you don't lift your hands if, if you sing. Like, that's, that's supernatural. We just kind of stand there. And, you know, and I walk into this church, and pe- people, are, people are everywhere. I mean, they're everywhere, and I'm not saying like they were standing, like they were running everywhere, jumping everywhere, hopping everywhere. Literally, one guy was like scaling the wall, and I'm like, what? what's going on here? So I, I did what any normal human being would do. I, I hid in the very back row. Can I get a witness? But there were two saints of God, two old women of God that they saw my brokenness. Come on. And when I walked in, they pointed me out, and they knew there he is, cast and all. And sure enough, about midway through that service, they walked to the back of the room, and they said, stand up. And I was like, see, what had happened was I have a broken leg. Stand up. So I stood up, went to grab my crutches, leave the crutches behind. So I'm hopping down to the the (laughs) altar. And this is a true story. I can't make this up. This is my first experience. I had one woman on the left side and one woman on the right side. She's yelling in this ear, hold on hold on, and this lady's yelling, let go, let go, hold on, let go, so I didn't know what to do, I just laid down, I lay down, took about a 15-minute nap. When I left there, I told my mom, I said, what has happened to you, and where are we? But even in that moment, like as different as it was, I left amazed and perplexed. So, so don't, don't let a, a few bad packages distance you from the power, the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. Can I get a good amen? Come on. All right, let me give you a couple more thoughts here. So that is what the Holy Spirit is not. The Holy Spirit is not in it, okay? And the Holy Spirit is not weird. The Holy Spirit is an inner voice. This is the person of the Holy Spirit, is this inner voice. Now, you have to figure out how to determine this inner voice as the Holy Spirit and not your conscience. The Holy Spirit is not Jiminy Cricket. The Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. And you do have the Holy Spirit once you say yes to Jesus, that is this inner voice in your life, but you also have a conscience. So how can you tell the difference? Write this down, again, not on the screen, but your conscience can become polluted. The Holy Spirit can never be polluted. Your conscience can be manipulated. The Holy Spirit can never be manipulated. If you've ever seen a picture of the Last Supper, or if you've ever had the image of the Last Supper, again, this is the, the, the last meal that Jesus shared with his disciples before his betrayal and arrest and crucifixion. I've often wondered, what, what was that dinner like? I mean, what would your conversation be like if you knew that was the last meal you were going to ever have? with the closest people in your life. Thankfully, the Bible tells us exactly what that conversation was in John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18. We see this whole story, this whole conversation at the Last Supper. And Jesus says this about the Holy Spirit in that meal. He says, when he comes, that's the Holy Spirit, he will, let's say this word, convict on three. One, two, three. Convict the world of guilt in regard to sin, and righteousness, and judgment. Let me go back here to this word, convict. This is that inner voice that provides conviction. The Holy Spirit will never condemn, only convict. It is the job of the enemy to condemn you, to beat you down. It is the job of the Holy Spirit to convict you, to lift you up. And there have been repeated times in my life, I don't have enough minutes left in this uh, talk to share all of the stories where this inner voice has convicted me in such a way to change my path, to change my direction, or to do something different. I'll just tell you a couple here. There have been multiple times, I hope you don't think any less of me, but where I've been watching something on Netflix and the Holy Spirit with the inner voice has said through conviction, turn it off. There have been repeated times where the Holy Spirit, through conviction, has impressed on my heart someone to call, someone to text, someone to visit. I I didn't know what they were going through. But the obedience to discern this inner voice, and you you got to listen and lean into the inner voice. Because of that obedience to that inner voice, that individual was encouraged, they were prayed for, they were uplifted, and they were better because of it. A few weeks ago... Um, I made dinner for the family. Come on, I'm like Bobby Flay in the kitchen. Y'all don't know. So I make dinner for the family, and, and everybody eats, and then... We move upstairs to uh, this, this room that we have to watch a movie, and, and then we get the kids ready for bed, and we put the kids in bed, and then Kimberly and I, we just have a few minutes of like just me and her time, and so we're just talking, and then we get ready for bed, and then we jump in bed, and now my eyes are about, my eyes are about to shut, and I'm about to go you know to, to, to sleep land, and all of a sudden, I heard in this inner voice the Holy Spirit say, get up now. And I sat straight up out of the bed. Has this ever happened to anybody? Get up. So I got up out of the bed and I heard the Lord say, run downstairs. And I ran downstairs and I had left the stove on for hours. And what had happened was because of the air condition or whatever, a napkin had floated over to the stove and was sitting on the edge of the stove. Now, I don't know if the house would have burnt down or what the end of the story would have been, but I do know how it ended in real time is that inner voice said, get up go downstairs. And when I did there, God revealed the problem. This is the center voice. And the Holy Spirit, listen to me, is always speaking to you. As a matter of fact, this is what I love about preaching. I still wrestle because I'm, I'm a human being and I, I'm a words of affirmation guy. So I still wrestle at the end of a message. I hope that message was okay. And anybody that public speaks, or maybe you're a preacher or a pastor, or, you know, you know that, that challenge of, man, I hope that message was okay. But here's what I love about the Holy Spirit in preaching. I can be talking to you, and what you are hearing has not really been anything that's been coming out of my mouth. So I'm talking, but you're hearing like Charlie Brown, wah, 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 wah. Because by the time what I say leaves my mouth, the Holy Spirit will manipulate my words in such a way that he'll begin to speak to you in an inner voice about a topic or a situation that had nothing to do with what I've been talking about today. I can't tell you how many times I've gone out into the lobby after a gathering, and someone said... That story you told about dot, dot, dot today, that just hit right at home. And I thought, bro, I did not tell that story. But the Holy Spirit will speak to you in an inner voice. And this is what happened today. At the end of this gathering, some of you will make a decision. And the only way that you can make this decision is to lean into the inner voice. It's what the Bible says. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by conviction that comes from the Holy Spirit. All right. Is this good so far? Okay, here's the other thought I want to give you. Not only is the Holy Spirit my inner voice, but the Holy Spirit is my teacher. Now, I went to Bible college, and uh, I paid a lot of money to go to Bible college, but here's what I learned about the Holy Spirit as a professor, is that you don't need to attend a, a Bible college, and I'm not putting down that desire to mature in your educational pursuit, but... You don't need a Bible degree in order to get a fresh word or fresh revelation from the Bible. When you open up the Word of God, the bread of life, the Holy Spirit is your teacher. And he will begin to teach you things from the Word of God that you don't need a Bible degree in order to learn. Does that make sense? The Holy Spirit can teach you some things. I mean, Kimberly and I, we've been in full-time ministry for 20 years, um, about 13 years of that. we spent in student ministry and now the last seven years we've spent as lead pastors. I can't tell you, especially in this uh, this particular season of my life, leading Go Church with multiple campuses in multiple states, some of the rooms that I've been in with people that are far more educated, far more knowledge, far greater wisdom than I ever had. I'm careful to put down, you know, uh, just JC, because the enemy beats me up enough, but I'm not the brightest star in the sky or the sharpest tool in the shed. I barely graduated from high school. A lot of that had to do with a lack of self-discipline. I started out in Bible college on academic probation, did a little bit better there. And and now look, God has promoted us to, to lead a ministry of this magnitude. And I've been in rooms with bankers, lawyers, COOs, CFOs, accountants, They've been there. They've done that. They bring a a wealth of knowledge about subject matter and issues and how to handle things. and, And there have been times where in those moments, all I've had was the Holy Spirit to be my teacher. Now, I'm listening, and this is not an attempt to sound arrogant or braggadocious, but there have been moments that without that experience of others in the room, without the degrees of others in the room, the Holy Spirit has shown little old me, an idea or a perspective or an approach that has shifted the trajectory of our organization as a church, and I've talked to accountants and said they couldn't figure out the problem, but the Holy Spirit has been my teacher, and I've said, well, have you looked at it from this angle? I, I know a lady that attends our South Metro Atlanta campus. Her and her family, they started a business, and now the business is a multi-million-dollar a year business, and she is the CFO, but she never went to school for it. On day one of the business grand opening, she sat behind a journal, pre-laptops and desktops, and said, okay, Holy Spirit, teach me how to keep the books. One of my favorite preachers, Dr. Mark Rutland, said that in a meeting of such with a group of Hispanic individuals, he stood on the stage and said, if you'll give me the gift of Spanish, I'll use it to glorify you. And the Holy Spirit, which is the teacher, began to speak through him, and the man preached an entire message in Espanol. The Holy Spirit is your teacher. John 14, stay with the Last Supper. But when the Father sends the advocate, this is Jesus talking. As my representative, that is the Holy Spirit. He will what? Come on, he will what? He will teach you everything and will remind you of everything that I have told you. Stop beating yourself up for the lack of education that you have or the lack of knowledge that you have press into the intimate relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will teach you. I think about this. One more quick story, and then I'll move to another thought. When We brought both of our kids home from the hospital after my wife delivered those miraculous children. There was no parenting guide. They didn't give me a book and say, okay, day one do this, day two do that. When they're 11 and a preteen, and they lock themselves in the room and play among us all day long, here's what you do. But you know who's been the teacher to help Kimberly and I parent all these years? The Holy Spirit. Lean in to the Holy Spirit. All right, come on, let's give Jesus some praise. Come on, let's honor God the Father. Come on, let's honor God the Son. Thank you, Holy Spirit. All right, here's another one. The Holy Spirit is my guide. Your Bible says that the steps of a righteous person are ordered by the Lord. But listen to me. There is a way that seems right into a man. But in the end, it's the way of destruction and death. God has a plan for your life. Jeremiah 29, 11 says a plan to prosper you, not to harm you, but to give you hope and to give you future. And the Holy Spirit wants to be your guide to keep you on the straight and narrow. Again, Last Supper, what did Jesus say? He says, when he comes, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, he will, everybody shout guide on three, one, two, three, guide. He will guide you into all truth. I love this verse in Isaiah 30, verse 21. Your ears will hear him, that inner voice. Right behind you, a voice will say, this is the way that you should go, whether it be to the right or to the left. Most of you can identify to a similar story, but my wife and I were serving right here as the youth pastors of this church when my father-in-law and mother-in-law were the lead pastors. There was a stirring in my heart that God was about to do something different in our marriage and in our ministry, and On July 12th of 2012, in the middle of the night, the Holy Spirit woke me up and in that inner voice led me to Matthew chapter 28, which is the Great Commission. When I read the Great Commission, therefore go and make disciples, I heard the Holy Spirit say, you're gonna plant a church, you're gonna call it Go Church. Fast forward to September of 2013. So just a year later, an opportunity came for my wife and I to relocate our family. It was me, her, and our son Lakeland at the time. To move from here, basically her hometown, to leave the comfortability of a growing church under the greatest pastor that I've ever known, uh, to leave our youth who were just dear to us and the life that we had built, to load up a 27-foot U-Haul. Y'all love this part of the story. 26 feet of the 27-foot U-Haul was Kimberly's clothes and shoes. Come on, somebody. That's the truth. And move 702 miles away to Germantown, Maryland. To start the ministry of Go Church. We did just that. The Holy Spirit was our guide. We didn't have an income. We didn't have money. Uh, family and friends and churches just like this one began to support us financially like we were missionaries and God blessed that work in Germantown and he's continuing to bless that work in Germantown. Yeah. The ministry began to grow and a few years later we had the largest Easter a gathering that we had ever had and On that next week, a guy walked into my office with a set of tickets to the Masters, the opening round of the Masters. For all you golf lovers, you know what the Masters, it is this Super Bowl of golf events. So I got on an airplane and I flew back to South Atlanta and I picked up my father-in-law and said, I got two tickets to the Masters and I want to take you because I want to solidify my role in your life as your favorite son-in-law. So... We drove over to the Masters. We enjoyed the opening round. And on the way back home, I'm driving because he always makes me drive. And I'm driving, and he looks over at me, and he begins to shed a tear, and he says, I I feel like God is telling me it's time to semi-retire, and I want you to come back home and take over the church. Well, I got real nervous, y'all. I just started laughing. It wasn't a disrespectful laugh, but I didn't know what to say, and then he got real nervous, and he started laughing, so for the next 30 seconds, we're just laughing at each other, and that was weird, (laughs) and I said, you know, I, I just don't know. Like, it's only been a few years since we left there, and now we're in Maryland, and we got Go Church, and God is doing a big thing there, and I don't know if I'm supposed to come back. And then he got embarrassed, and he was like, well, I don't know if you're supposed to come back either. Mom just told me to talk to you. So, I mean, we're just having a conversation. I was like, well, I mean, I don't, I don't think I'm supposed to do it. And he's like, honestly, I don't think you're supposed to do it either. He's like, I hardly believe in you. And so anyway, <laughs> we're both in counseling. Come on. <laughs> I went back home, and I told Kimberly, I was like, I don't know. This doesn't make sense. Like, God just brought us to Maryland, and now a few years later, we're going to move back? Where where is God in that, and what is God doing? There's so much of the story, but I'll tell you one more part. We were trying to buy the townhouse that we were living in, but it was too costly. We we couldn't afford it. We were trying to work with the owners on uh, negotiating a, a different price range, and one day I walked outside, and I saw a for sale sign in our front yard, I got so angry at God. I was wrestling with God anyway. And at one part in that journey, I told Kim, I was like, I'm not even praying about this. God's not in that. I'm not moving back to Noonan. At that time, I was like, there's not even good restaurants in Noonan. Come on, can I get a witness? There's this for sale sign. And I looked up at God and I was like, What are you doing? What are you doing? Now remember, I told you a moment ago there was a season I told Kim, I'm not even praying about this, and I heard the inner voice of the Holy Spirit say, pray or don't pray, I'm moving you. And I fell down outside of that townhouse and I just wept. I want my life to be known as being guided by the Holy Spirit. You got to be real careful because you can do things in the flesh and you can get out of the will of God. I've been there. I've done that. I've got scars to prove it. I know what it's like to live outside of the will of God, and I know what it's like to be guided by the Spirit of the Lord and live inside of the perfect will of God, and there is nothing like it. And some of you, you're doing your own. I feel this. Some of you are doing your own thing. You're being your own God. But through this series, the Holy Spirit is going to speak to you, and he wants to guide you in a different direction, and you're going to come to a crossroad where you have to decide, will you submit to the plans of God, or will you continue to pursue your own dreams and your own goals? I want my life to be defined as spirit-led. Take me outside of my comfortability. Can I tell you one more thought here? The Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit, will never call you to do something that you are comfortable doing. Do you know why? Because if you're comfortable doing it, then you have no need to be dependent on Him. But He calls you to the places that are uncomfortable. Come on, I'm preaching now. He'll call you outside of your levels of comfortability so that you don't lean on your own understanding, but you lean on him. You depend on him. You trust in him. Your source of strength comes from him and him alone. He is your guide. He's your guide. One more thought here, and then I'm going to give you a prayer to pray. The Holy Spirit is my comforter and my friend. My wife and my assistant aren't here today because they're driving to South Georgia to be with uh, some of our staff at our Germantown campus, our worship pastor there. His wife's father, late 50s, died from COVID just a week ago. So they're on their way to Waycross now to celebrate that man's life. How... How does someone pick up the broken pieces of that type of grief without the comfort of the Holy Spirit? Kimberly and I were talking about this this week because I, I, like I, I get it, man. Like 2020 was a lot and I don't know if it's because we have access to social media, but it's almost like every day I hear about somebody else that's sick, somebody else that has cancer, somebody else that's died. We've got a former staff. Uh, They were our worship pastors for a season. And last week, her mom was walking down the steps of her house and tripped and fell, fractured her skull and died in just a couple of days. How does that family pick up the broken pieces of grief without the spirit of comfort? Here's how I like to imagine this comforter and this friend that we have in the Holy Spirit as if heaven's open and the Holy Spirit reaches down with his grace-filled arms of compassion and love and wraps them around you in your deepest, darkest moments of despair. This is a friend. And again, I don't do weird, so remember that, but my friend, the Holy Spirit, that's my best friend. I talk to the Holy Spirit all day, every day, about everything. Yes. And this type of friend that I have in the Holy Spirit will never stab me in the back, right. will never afford me one ounce of pain. No, this friend that I have in the Spirit of God is close to me. And he has seen every tear, and he has heard every cry, and he knows every scar, and he feels every pain. Why would I reject that intimacy? What? Because of this? The enemy wants to package the person of the Holy Spirit in such a way that you never experience the comfort of a a supernatural, spirit-empowered life. I'm not against science, but science didn't comfort me and my mom when my dad died from a heart attack. Pastor Ben, science didn't comfort you when your mom died unexpectedly. Science doesn't comfort you when the world seems to be falling apart. But why is it that as believers we can have peace, peace, wonderful peace? I'll tell you how. It's intimacy with this friend and the Holy Spirit. i got two more verses here. Watch this. I'll ask the Father. He'll give you another helper. Uh, This Greek word for helper is the word paraclete. And here's words that are synonymous with it, comforter, advocate, intercessor, counselor, strengthener, standby. This is what the Holy Spirit is. He's my standby guy. Come on now. He's my friend, and he will be with you for how long? Forever. Here's another verse, 2 Corinthians 13, the message translation. The amazing grace of the master Jesus Christ and the extravagant love of God. And watch, so many Christians, they put a period right there. Amazing grace of Jesus, the extravagant love of God. Period. There is no period. There is a comma. The intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit. I want you to know that God wants you to experience the fullness of Himself, knowing intimately God the Father, knowing intimately God the Son, and knowing intimately God the Holy Spirit. Stop putting a period where there is a comma. Come on and give God some praise. Let's do that together. Hallelujah. Come on, 15 seconds here. Hallelujah, Jesus. I got to do this so quick. I'm going to give you three prayers to pray as we close out week number one. Here's the first one. Holy Spirit, show me. Show me. Two parts of this prayer. Reveal yourself to me more and reveal me to me. I want the Holy Spirit to show me more about his person and his power and how I can have the baptism of, I can't wait to preach that one, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and operate in my gifts and live out the fruits. Show me, Holy Spirit, but also show me some things about Me, the psalmist David said it this way. Search me, God, and know my heart. Put me to the test and know my anxious thoughts and see if there is any hurtful way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Holy Spirit, show me. Here's the other one. This is your prayer. Holy Spirit, change me. God will accept you just as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you the way he found you. Let me say it again. God will accept you just as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you the way he found you. There is a next step for every single one of you. There is a a next for all of us, and the Holy Spirit is doing that today. Some of you, your next step is move track to learn more about the church and more about yourself. For some of you, that next step is water baptism. For some of you today, you said, God, if if you want me to change, show me a sign. When you leave today at both of our campuses, you're gonna see your sign in the lobby. It's called groups. It's a big sign, groups. Here's your sign. God wants you to change. As a matter of fact, the Bible talks about this very thing. For the Lord is the spirit and wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Watch verse 18. So all of us who have had that veil removed, that's what this series is doing, removing the, the, the veil. We can see and reflect the glory of the Lord and the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like him as we are what? Changed into his glorious image. Holy Spirit, show me. Holy Spirit, change me. And here's the last prayer. Holy Spirit, fill me. No disrespect here, but we're all full of something. Wouldn't you rather be full of the Spirit of God Paul says this, he says, don't be drunk with wine. Don't be full of wine. That stuff's going to ruin your life. You, you, you could put anything there. Stop being so full of pride. Stop being so full of hate. Stop being so full of arrogance, whatever. Again, I mean, you put anything there, but he says, don't be drunk with wine. All of that, it's just going to ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And here's what some of you are thinking. Well, I I am filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, the disciples, they were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. One more thought here. I love what my mentor Chris Hodges says about this idea of being filled with the Spirit of God. Being filled with the Holy Spirit doesn't make me better than you. Being filled with the Holy Spirit makes JC better than JC. This is an internal work that is displayed on the outside. All right. I hope you enjoyed today. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. I'll always close with a question. I would appreciate just a couple moments here of you processing all of this conversation and scripture and thoughts. And, and here's the question because the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you. So what's he saying? Week one of this, this series, what's the Holy Spirit Saying to you from this message, come on, both campuses, every person, bow your head, close your eyes, online as well. Come on, just for a moment. I just want you to take, you're about to go into the busyness of the rest of your weekend or the busyness of this week. Fifteen seconds here, what's the Holy Spirit saying to you? Holy Spirit, show me. Change me. Fill me. Right, nobody's looking, every head bowed, every eye still closed. Let me give you just a couple of responses here. If what the Holy Spirit is saying to you is, accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Don't miss that. Today's the day, right now is the opportunity. If the Holy Spirit's saying to you, okay, before I introduce you to the person and the power of the Holy Spirit, I want you to ask Jesus, God the Son, to come into your life. He's the one that died on the cross, and no man comes to the Father but through him. So you have to say yes to Jesus. If that's you, maybe you've never said yes to the Lord or it's been a while. Come on, both campuses. You ready? On the count of three, if that's you, nobody's looking. Just me and the Holy Spirit. You ready? Put your hand up on three. One, two, three. Come on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you, sir. Anyone else? Thank you. Germantown, come on. Hands up, Holy Spirit, I'll move in that room. Okay, every head bowed, every eye closed, every hand down. If the Holy Spirit is saying, it's time for you to take a next step. I don't, I'm not going to find that, only you know what it is. But you just want me to pray for you this week to have the courage and the boldness to take whatever that step is. Ready, hands up on three. One, two, three. Come on, oh, lots of hands. Okay, Jesus, you've seen every hand that was raised by these responses. Now, for those that are asking Christ to come into their heart, do that today, Jesus. Forgive them of their sin. We read a moment ago that where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. So come into their heart and their mind. Make them a new creation. May they confess their sin, accept you as Lord, and walk in the newness of life. For those that are taking that bold next step this week, Father, I pray courage. God, I pray power that comes from you. God, whatever it might be, Lord, they need you to be their guide and their teacher and that inner voice, Lord. So so do that. They need you to be their comforter and their friend. So be that to them this week. And we give you thanks and we give you glory and we give you honor. In the most powerful name we know to pray, the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Come on, let's give the Lord some high praise. Come on, let's do it together.